Blog Talk Radio. everyone we are having a chat room snafu over here at blog talk radio i'm going to be trying to fix it over the next few seconds i in an attempt to fix it i cleared website data and i may have messed up all sorts of other things too in the process so hang on with us if we're going to be kind of in and out here for a second No luck with this chat room here, guys. I Restart logged Safari. out. I logged back in. Restart Safari. Restart all. Restart Safari. Okay, I might restart Safari, but if I restart Safari, I know. then I disconnect our I Blog know. Talk Radio it should be, studio. Should we get back. I don't know what all the way. Okay, I'm gonna try this, guys. Hang on. Starting the browser seems to be working. As far as I can tell from getting back into the studio over here at Blog Talk Radio, I see that we are still connected. I think this is truly amazing. Yeah. How, how do we do this? I suggested it. You suggested it. So, so that's why. So you are the one. It wouldn't have worked otherwise <laughs> if I didn't suggest it. 
Welcome, everyone. Sorry for the bumpy start there. So this well, is what's a, new? This is, this is live radio. <laughs> this Rush is, li- goes this is this. live radio. It, I cannot attribute this to our new system. And by the way, we are thanking again the donors who have made possible our new audio system yeah, over solid. here. Thank you. Um, anyway, welcome back, Bosch. How, how are you doing today? Good. Yeah. Just uh, got a whole load of stories. Interesting things. I'm going to try to make it a point not to interrupt you as much as I did when I, when you filled in for Tammy the other day. When I first gave you your new mic, yeah. your shiny new mic, I the went, other day on the Tammy Bruce show. I went. Uh, <laughs> I overdosed on the power of yeah. being able to speak over you. So I'm going to stop right now. You're going to stop speaking over me. Yay. <laughs> I think the way I, I can stop interrupting you is writing down everything I want to say and have you say it. So, therefore, I'm not really interrupting you. you know what I mean? So, you're going to give me more to say. Voice. I'm not going to have any chance to drink but, this but, yummy yep. coffee that I have right but here. But you have to do it in my voice. That's mm. the only catch. I don't know if I can do that. I'm really not sure Try. that I can do that. Right anyway, hello, everyone. I'm sorry for the delayed start of the chat room. I do not know exactly why it would not open for me, but it turns out that if I'm connected to the Blog Talk Radio Studio, a restarting of the Safari browser does not undo us. So I think that that's a really good thing that we learned today. Are you proud? Yes. Okay, we're going to start with our show, which is called Dude, a Pro-American Administration is like so three decades ago. In just a minute or two, hold on. Join in here at the Blog Talk Radio chat room or call in 760-888-5817 if you want to talk about any of the topics we have planned. Check those out, the topics that we have planned, over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. And we'll see you on the other side of the intro. This is Amy Peekoff, and you're listening to the May 2nd, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the show where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy, as many of you know, is the one that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. And, (laughs) as I said, I'm Amy Peekoff here. Cartoonist Bosch Faustin is here in the studio with me. About to interrupt the intro. Yay! <laughs> you know, we have breaking news right now. Breaking news. Bosch is going to Texas in October. Yes. So, yes. So, good. Thanks. I thought I was going to bring him again inappropriately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was invited to be on a television. It's, it's the beginning of May, but, but, <laughs> but uh, Bosch is, is going to go to Texas in October. I've been on television only once before. So, this, this will be an ex- interesting experience, I think, this other one. I just hope I'm I'm I hope I'm challenged. That's all. 
Dude. It's bubble work. So. <laughs> okay. We Every time I brought it up, Amy just started laughing. I think she thinks it's ridiculous because the fact is, it's tough for me to it's get. It's May. tough for me to get traction with, with my work. It's so kind of controversial. But, people don't want to touch me. But it's me. But I've been on a Daily Show. I've been on radio. So, you know, it's just. Yeah, but I was invited now. But it's May. I was invited now. I was invited in October. I'm, I'm invited now. Seven two five two one in the chat room says you're going to like America, <laughs> boss. Yes, that's funny. <laughs> Texas well, going is to Texas now is, America. It's like yeah, it's like going to America. It is, yeah. and we're we're in Europe basically, out here in California. Yes, we are. That's where we are. That's where we are. Well, we're in Saudi Arabia. We're in Mecca right now. So, I, yeah. you know, you guys, I couldn't resist with the title for today's show, dude. A pro-American administration is like so three decades ago, that's and good. why? Because I thought that that one little clip that's been going around, the one in which the former Obama, you know, Obama administration lackey called Brett Bear dude on Fox News. I think that that is a perfect encapsulation of the Obama administration. There's so many things inherent in what he did. Uh, First of all, they all have the conviction that they've got the media in their pocket. Who is the media to challenge them about anything, much less something that happened two years ago? Unbelievable. So there's that. Uh, The other thing is it's contempt for the American people that they can just sit there and go on these national news shows and not answer substantive questions about things that we think are important to us. It's a lack of decorum, of course, to use the word dude. You know what came to my mind years ago, more years than I care to actually tell you about? I went to work part-time for the Ayn Rand Institute, and Mike Berliner was the executive director at that point, and I was in college, and I was excited to go and actually be working at the Ayn Rand Institute. And I remember Mike Berliner criticizing the way that I spoke because I used some slang here and there. I might have said like or he's all, she's all. I don't even say that stuff anymore. Remember, he also remember against, people used to say, t-shirts? Oh, he was, he was well, there, that's a different thing. <laughs> well, but, it's, but, it's almost a similar in the sense where it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. Not, not and, against, sorry, I interrupted you. I'm, I'm Not against T-shirts, but trying to put Ayn Rand on T-shirts in certain ways were things that he didn't like at that point in time. I'm not sure if he so changed what were you using? his mind about that. What, what, what slang were you using? Do you, yo, yo, yo. Do you yo, remember dog, when people were saying things like, he's all, she's all, she was all this, he was all that? We don't even say that anymore. <laughs> no, people, I, I never said that. But people do say... He was like this. So the word like is still used inappropriately. It's not as a comparison. It was. It's not like you're comparing. You're. By the way, the chat room is excited about, about me going to Texas for a television show. <laughs> they are. At least they are. So thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. But it's in October. <laughs> well, I was invited now. You know, I just I might as well mention it. Yeah, people prep. In any event. I guess, it, I don't know. It's just funny. Mike Berliner would criticize the way that we, the younger generation, would speak because it didn't, you know, have proper grammar stuff. So here I am. I'm going to sit here on this show and be completely stilted and not able to speak because I'm thinking about Mike Berliner criticizing my speaking grammar. But that's what happened. I hope, I hope you listen to me, Mike. Could you imagine? I, I mean, I'd love to talk to Mike Berliner about this. Could you imagine him watching this former Obama administration communications guy yeah. on Brett Baer? And he says, dude. 
Is that unprecedented? I don't even my, know. My thinking is it might have been just an accident. I think they're looking just to set to really get Bear off to F with us. I really think it's a possibility. So listen, go out there, just use dude. Just talk, do one thing. Do not take it seriously. Do right. not take this seriously. Once you take it seriously, then he might have to really answer. So play around. Play dumb. You, you know, you can do the easy. You're, you know, you're an idiot anyway. Play dumb and say dude. Don't forget, you've got to say dude. I would not be shocked. You know, feel, I think now I just feel like I want to go ahead and play the clip. So let's just play the clip right now. Talking, yeah. According to the emails and the timeline, sure. the CIA circulates new talking points after they've removed a mention of Al-Qaeda. Yeah. And then at 621, the White House... You, me, add a line about the administration warning of September 10th of social media reports calling for demonstrations. True? Uh, I believe so. Did you also change attacks to demonstrations in the talking points? Uh, maybe. I don't really remember. You don't remember? Dude, this is like two years ago. We're still talking about the Dude, most mundane it is the thing process that everybody is talking about. We're no. talking about the process. One second. I, didn't, Dude, I forgot he said like. like. I actually put that in the title thinking that's just the way that he would say it. But he actually said, and he said Dude. the word like. Yes. Dude, this is like two years ago. And keep in mind also, Jay Carney, uh, Obama's second lie hole, he said uh, six months after the attacks, Benghazi was a long time ago. So I made this one cartoon like a, like a Star Wars poster a long time ago in, in a galaxy far, far away. He said that six months after. And, and we, we spoke about that at the time. We said, well, it's because when you're lying every single day about every single thing, yes. it, it seems like it's an ancient. Like, it's, it's an eternity. Those lies are old. It is we exhausting. Tell, we got to tell some new lies today. It is exhausting to cover up something like Benghazi for such a long period of time, which is why it seems like it's so long Even ago. Even some liberals are criticizing the Obama administration saying, uh, I think they called Jay, Jay Carney compared him to Baghdad Bob. Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. That's pretty telling. That is pretty good. State defines in the chat room over here says, "What difference does yeah, it make, dude? dude?" Exactly. Yep. I mean, look, they sent him out there. Do not take this seriously. Smile a little. Use dude. I mean, just don't take it seriously. Okay. Come on, move on. Right. Right. And uh, Brett Bears, he called him dude right back. He said, "Dude." Well, and that's the thing. It did not phase no, Bear at all, no. and it certainly didn't phase us. And thankfully, none of this attempt to deflect has defaced and this has, new, has phased the GOP, as we're going to talk and about. And this new uh, this new information that we got from Benghazi was from an independent source, which we would have gotten this last year at least if Boehner had appointed um, a special uh, a select committee, a select yeah. committee, which he supposedly is doing now. Good, but. Hopefully it's not too late. You got to get this guy. Well, I don't. I don't think it's too late, but it sure would have been more helpful if it had happened earlier. How about that? Yes. Anyway, I do. I think this is a perfect encapsulation of the Obama administration. You know, they think they got the media in their pocket. They have a contempt for the American people for actually answering questions that the American people might want to know the answers to. They have a lack of decorum. They refuse to be held accountable, both for the failure to do their job. And they don't want to be held accountable for their insistence on doing a whole bunch of things that really aren't their job and therefore destroying our country. A number of the stories that we're going to talk about today touch on this theme of, you know, the, the, the idea that we are an, in an anti-American administration in this country. And people well, seem to accept it for the most part. But mm -hmm. I really do think that that guy representing the Obama administration on Fox News and calling Bet Brett Bear dude, yep. as a deflection of a question that he should be able to answer, to be held accountable 
for this administration not doing its job. It is, it's just a perfect symbol. Seven says something sharper. Uh, he, she said, dude, uh, like this was on purpose so that we end up talking about dude instead of the tragedy <laughs> itself. Well, it's not a tragedy. It's an atrocity. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a massacre. Right. Benghazi. And that is the story that we are finally going to get to hear. And hopefully it's going to be heard on all of the mainstream yep. media Trey outlets. Trey Gowdy, one of the better uh, House members, will be the, the head of it. So that's a really good sign. Excellent. Excellent. So if you want to look at all of the stories that we're going to talk about today, a lot of them are integrating around this theme of the anti-American administration that we have. Go to DontLetItGo.com. Check out the program notes that we have. You'll see a couple links right there at the top of the program notes. One is for our sponsor here on Blog Talk Radio, Audible. Go and get an Audible free trial and support the show using that link at my blog. And also iTunes and iBooks. I am now an iTunes and iBooks affiliate. You can check those out. But first thing that we're going to talk about is the way in which this administration just continues the work of prior administrations to, first of all, continue to destroy the economy. That's what they're doing. But the other thing that they're doing is they are covering up the extent to which they are destroying the economy. And what's worse is that the media are their accomplices in this. Check out the two different headlines that I juxtapose. Again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com. That's where I have the program notes for today's show. The first is a story from the Wall Street Journal. And that's where I went for my news this morning. I actually, thanks to the donations from contributors to the show, so thank you again. I subscribe. I have an online subscription to Wall Street Journal. And I like it just because if I just want to get some solid news story on whatever the big story is that lays out the facts more or less objectively, then I go there. But I realize that the reporting at the Wall Street Journal can be slanted. And so I'm always checking other news sources as well to give me a, a juxtaposition. And today is no exception to that. If you go to the Wall Street Journal, the headline reads about the jobs report that the United States has added 288,000 jobs and that the unemployment rate drops to 6.3%. This all sounds wonderful. And they say the jobless rate hits the lowest level since September 2008. Doesn't that headline make it just sound awesome? Oh, yeah. Things are great. And moreover, I heard that the stock prices have gone up in reaction to this, that somehow – now, maybe it was even – when we objectively think, decipher what this means, it might be better that. than the expected. They wrote that in order to get the stock prices. You mean? Just like, if we write this, then, you mean? No, but, yeah. no, but they're, they're part of the problem, these, these rats also. But I can't imagine that the stock they market... Love, they love the handouts also. Yeah, I can't imagine <clears throat> that the stock market is deceived by the way that the Wall Street Journal reports the jobs data well, some people, in its headlines. Some people want to hear it, and that's it, and they stop there. It's, oh, okay, that sounds exactly, exactly what I want to hear. Perfect, let's go. Right. So it says, it says Americans gained jobs at the fastest pace in more than two years last month, and the jobless rate plunged, a sign the economy has rebounded from a winter rut. It says non-farm employment grew a seasonally adjusted 288,000 in April. Now, why is it non-farm? Why are they looking at non-farm? I don't know why non-farm. Is farm doing bad? I know that they are doing an enforced drought in Northern California. So I wonder how the farm employment is. Anyway, non-farm employment grew 288,000 in April. Uh, That marked the best month of job creation since January 2012 and the second best month since the economy urged from a recession in mid-2009. 
They say the economy emerged from a recession. <laughs> I'm not seeing it. I know housing no. prices dropped in some areas recently. They're like, if we write that, you know what I mean? It might be true in our, in our mind. The jobless rate obtained from a separate survey of households fell from to 6.3% from 6.7%. A separate survey of households? Now, that sounds suspicious in and of itself. Yes. It says, but in a worrisome sign, the rate declined. Why? Because the overall labor force fell sharply. Now, finally, you get the truth. Buried paragraphs into this, okay? Fewer Americans re-entered the labor market after previously dropping out, sending the labor force participation rate back to a three-decade low of 62.8%. Now, why wasn't that the headline in the Wall Street Journal? They, they have it in their story. Because they need to prop up some crap today. 62.8%, a three-decade low, is and the current labor participation can I ju- rate. Can I just mention uh, behind the scenes what goes on sometimes with Wall Street? What's going on right now? A lot of the operators, the uh, Republican operators even, uh, they want, if they can't get uh, Chris Crispy, which I'm going to have a piece of chocolate now, uh, a.k.a. Eater Eating, or Jeb Bush, they'll go for Hillary Clinton. They're statists. They want uh, to maintain the statists in Washington. And they're like, well, if we can get this, you know, if we, if we can't get the statists on the right, let's get the statists on the left. Right. Because they sure as hell know that a Rand Paul or uh, a Ted Cruz will not, at least Ted Cruz won't. Rand Paul, who the hell knows? Right. He's so iffy. You know, here's here's the thing, though, right? So both of them, but the Republicans and the Democrats, you think Republicans for the most part are on board with these policies oh, that yeah. are continuing to destroy yeah. our economy. At least some of the news out- outlets are reporting this objectively. I've got the CBS local, washington.cbslocal.com, uh, more than 90 Million, excuse me, more than 92 million Americans remain out of the labor force. So that mm. is their headline. That is how they report this set That's of jobs headline. data. The headline That's is the more than 92 million Americans remain out of the labor force. And that, that is the biggest thing that. that we should be talking 92 about. 92 million Americans. So here, here's the way they construct the first sentence of their story. Despite the unemployment rate plummeting, more than 92 million Americans remain out of the labor force. The unemployment rate dropped to 6.3% from 6.7%, uh, the lowest it's been since September 2008 when it was 6.1%. Ooh, ooh. Uh, the sharp drop, though, occurred because the number of people working or seeking to work fell. The Bureau of Labor Statistics does not count people who are not looking for a job or as uh, listing themselves as unemployed. Uh, the Bureau noted that the civilian labor force dropped by 806,000 last month following an increase of 503,000 in March. So if they're going around, they're saying, oh, 288,000 jobs created, but yes. the labor force dropped by 806,000? Yeah. That is pathetic. Yes. That is pathetic. Is 92 it, million. Is this called news? And then this is a news report, and then you got the Wall Street Journal. you got the Wall Street Journal versus the news, right? Well, there's the news report, and then there's the report about the way that the people are reporting the news. Yes. And I, I just, I think, it, I think it's inexcusable, first of all, that uh, the administration and our legislators are continuing the same failed policies no. that month after month after month keep us in this rut and keep people leaving the labor force. Lowest labor force in three decades. The lowest labor participation rate three in three decades. decades. Since, since Jimmy Carter's policies. But it, it, this is terrible. Um, yeah, since Jimmy Carter's policies destroyed us. So there's that. And then there is the mainstream media 
who reports this job's data as if it's wonderful. The thing that I can't understand is why the stock market is doing well with this. Maybe it's because they know the truth that the job's data is actually softer than the media is making it appear, and maybe they think that the Fed's going to jump in. I have no Probably. idea. And that's why they would vote for Hillary Clinton, because she would save them. We do, have, we do have a call here, and I do think I know who it is. I want to go ahead and take it and see. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Yay, Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Good to hear from you. How are you? Oh, well, I'm hanging in there, recovering from my uh, recent injury. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you told us about that. That's... Um, I'm just glad that you were in an SUV. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be home so I can call into your show. Excellent. 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 So, um, yeah, so what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, in addition to this issue with the the labor force having dropped by 806,000, I saw an article from Tammy Bruce just earlier today, and in it she's talking about this issue of the government trying to kind of sweep under the rug the extent to which people are not um, doing well out there. Or Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's actually, you know, you, you, you steal my thunder here a little bit. That is actually oh. the next link at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. That is next on our program notes is to talk about her article. Now, she wasn't talking specifically about this because she wrote this, I think, before the jobs data hit the news. But it's the same issue, right? It is, and it's the same every month. They always do this, you know, either if it's even they can glean anything positive out of it, even if it's just something taken totally out of context, like that the jobless rate has gone down. That's just such BS. But every month it's the same thing. They try and put some kind of positive spin on it, and they keep talking about the recovery and and that kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, she pointed out some statistics I don't want to take that uh, away from you if you were going to say <laughs> what she had uh, pointed out, but I was pretty um, I was pretty blown away by by some of the facts that she indicated in there. I had not been aware of that. Yeah, I mean the the, the one story that she had talked about uh, several days ago on her show and that she incorporated into this that I mean this is just a horrible statistic. It says new data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics reveals that. One out of every five families, 20% of the families in the United States has no one employed. One out of every five. So 20%. No one in the entire family is employed. Yeah, that's, that's stunning. Terrible. And what do I mean, you think you... about what that does to you, to the way you think and the way you live? It's just your whole family is unemployed. Just. Yeah. I mean, that just seems so crushing. I've been home from work for a week, and I've been starting to feel like a slacker. I can't imagine what it would be like to just live that way and just to have your whole family that way and um, how it would kill initiative and and you just would have to kind of evade the fact that you're essentially living as parasites if you're just living on government relief. I mean, she talks about that with her mother in the same article um, how her mother was unable, though, to evade the fact that she was the welfare recipient because she had to go in there with food stamps and people saw them, and it was kind of a shame, a shaming effect on her, and it made her, it, she couldn't just just evade it, and, and then that, that gave her that incentive to want to get out of it. Um, right, I, I mean... The way that it is. 
You know, it, it's it's a it's a continuing effort by the liberals and particularly the liberals in power Normalize. for people to be able to evade what is going on, right? And if you remember, I remember Leonard Peikoff talking about the fact that one of the reasons that they brought in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid was the idea that yeah, well, you know, people were already getting charity, but Everyone thought that it was sort of an affront that people had to actually go ask and that it was actually charity and that somehow if you had the state come in and have a social safety net, as they call it, or welfare program, you know, you come up with your euphemism, but that this program would disguise the fact that what is going on really is forced charity, right? And so then it comes from the government. Now that we have technological means like those EBT, you know, the debit cards that Tammy Bruce talks about in her Washington Times piece, now that we have those cards, it's possible to make the evasion go a step more quickly. You can apply for unemployment benefits online. You'll get the EBT debit card sent in the mail. You never have to go stand in line at an unemployment office and actually be seen by other people while you're in the process of applying for these benefits. And as you said, now instead of the food stamps that were actually little stamps that you take out of the booklet, you would go ahead and uh, have that EBD debit card. Debbie, we have a break that we're coming up on. Do you want to go ahead and hang on and we can talk a bit more after the break? Sure. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to see if I can smoothly get some music that we can play here over the break and I think we'll have some fun with it. Uh, Where am I going to go here? I've got a few seconds. I should not worry about this. I'm learning to use my iTunes. Are you enjoying our new sound here? Well, you know, I'm listening to you through my phone, so I can't tell the difference because it's just the sound quality is limited by my phone. I see. Uh, okay. Well, hang on, I'm Debbie. Sure it's we'll, great. We'll get we'll get right back to you. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Without her trying She's beautiful And I tell her every day Yeah, I know, I know When I compliment her She won't believe me It's so, it's so Sad to think that she don't see what I see Every time she asks me Do I look okay? I say When I see your face got one person over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio who has guessed what we're playing, and it's Elliot. Elliot says that he loves this song, and he especially likes this version 
This song is Just the Way You Are, and it's by Bruno Mars. This is a cover by Matt Bayless. And yes, I am I'm learning to use my little iTunes setup so that I can play DJ, which I'm having some fun with. Boss keeps threatening to be DJ and I'm to afraid improve the show. to improve the yeah, show. Just to improve the show. And I'm afraid that if he does come in and become DJ that we're <laughs> going to get some very obscure sounding uh radiohead. Well it's radiohead and, and beyond that, there's a lot more than radiohead. Yeah. Some songs some unheard of sounds and that, that's what you want. You want sounds that you've never heard before. Which are great. By the way, the uh, Jazz Bulls, mm-hmm. uh, they're officially good. The Jazz Bulls are officially, officially good? Officially. Okay. Because uh, they gave me goosebumps the other day. So that's it. Once you give me goosebumps, it's, you're officially good. I knew that the Jazz Bulls were good when I listened to them yeah. from Sylvia Turkman's video. Right. And you knew, like, whoa. And never yeah. went back, basically. I got a little EP of theirs. And was that their first album, The Prisoner? Uh, Prisoner was the first full-length album. I gotta say that's arguably one of the most accomplished first albums. But they had a couple EPs before that. Okay. So but they what? had four or five songs okay. on each one. But this so is the first full album. Yes. That's damn good. <laughs> I mean, really good. Definitely go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Check out the little iTunes link, and you can find Jezebel's. I think that's where I dump people in iTunes, right? Uh, Music-wise, I've got a a music link. There's one song right now. It's called Deep Wide Ocean. Deep Wide Ocean. It's excellent. Deep Wide Ocean. Now, let's let's see if I can find something that I can play for the folks. (laughs) That was another bit of language that they were talking about here in the chat room is the the folks. Well, that's what O'Reilly uses. That's what Bush used to call the uh, Al-Qaeda. Now, how can I I get... And that's what Obama used to refer to... uh, Terrorists and us. Why can't I get to all of my Radiohead here? This is really making me upset. So I'm going to have to go ahead and play this one. And I, while I learn to use my iTunes, well, you can use my, um, you can lose my, my uh, account. We'll be back in a sec. The green plastic for a fake Chinese Okay, we are back. Ooh, that was rather abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> that was Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead, for those of you who are keeping score here in the chat room. This is Amy Peikoff, Bosch Boston here, Don't Let It Go Unheard. And before the break, we were talking talking to a listener, Debbie, and I'd like to grab her back again if we can. Debbie, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, so uh, this piece of Tammy Bruce that we were talking about where she's saying not only is this administration and our government in general, I mean, she, she's not just anti-Democrat. She's willing to criticize the Republicans when they are in charge of the policies that are failing all of us out there. But, you know, right now, of course, she's particularly critical of Obama. And she says that these people are sometimes malevolent, 
right? Our politicians are not, you know, they, she says they are incompetent and sometimes malevolent. And what they do is they hide the problem of poverty in order to keep themselves in power. They want to maintain the system. It's, it's, it's truly, truly revulsifying. It is. And, you know, I really appreciate her saying something to the effect that they're malevolent. I can't stand it anymore when I hear someone like, oh, just pick anyone, someone like Rush Limbaugh or, or who knows, an, a Republican politician, almost anyone who opposes ostensibly the left, they always throw in there something like, I know they mean well, but they're just stupid or they're failing and they can't get it right. And then the implication might be also my gang could do it better because we're smarter than they are. But but no matter what the else they say, they always have to throw it in there like, oh, they mean well, they're just wrong. And I can't stand that. It's just so obviously false. And it's cowardly, I think, when they do that, when they say that. Like they just, oh, well, well, now let's still be civilized and get along. They're trying to destroy everything that means anything to me, my entire country, and make life impossible for me. But that doesn't mean we can't get along and be civil. So I'll go well, ahead and say and that they mean well. Part, part of it, though, is that I think that they cannot imagine that these people are evil. It's like they... they, oh, they well, it, hold they, on. I don't think that. I think you they think they're think, innocent? I think, no, no. I think okay. they think they're too... That, the one who's feeling this thinks that they're too good to think that they're evil. I mean, not like I can't think that about someone else. You know what I mean? Because that would be that I'm corrupt, that I'm I've lost optimism in mankind type thing. You know, where you can condemn someone as absolutely evil. I think that's why they do that. I think that's why they do it with, with Islam, with Obama. If I call him evil, then I'm I'm giving hope. On, no, 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 idiot. He's evil. All you have to do is identify that, recognize that. It doesn't have any anything on you. It doesn't say anything about you except your recognition of reality. Right. And just an example, with that attitude, if you bring that attitude into writing, let's say, like the, the Spider-Man movie, it had two villains in there. They were not pure evil. They just were misunderstood with some bad motivations. By the way, I saw it. It was better than the last one. Some parts were really good. Some parts not so good, but it was very mixed. But anyway, uh, think about the greatest evil villains uh, in the film, the, the Joker. Mm-hmm. Heath Ledger's Joker. Right. Uh, the Red Skull, you know, in terms of pure evil. Right. There's no pretense here. I'm going to kill people, and that's it. And uh, writers like this can't do that. because they, they always have to create some kind of backstory and find out why that person was evil. So, so what I'm saying here is that I think some people, like, like Bill O'Reilly, he's a good guy. He's a patriot about Obama. Bill O'Reilly called him a patriot. Barack Hussein Obama, Mr. Anti-America, he calls him a patriot. I think he can't call him evil because, again, in his own mind, well, I'll be saying something about myself if I call him evil. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I'm too good to call him evil. So therefore, he's a good guy. I don't know. I mean, you know, Tammy, it could be because she has a background as a liberal. No, no, Tammy definitely gets it, right? She gets it. She says not only are they sometimes malevolent, they are destructive. She said, you know, she refers to the latest effort by liberals to hide their destruction of our lives. That's the way she introduces this latest measure that she's talking about. And I was going to ask you about this, Debbie, by the way. They think they're, are you, they think in, they're too good to think ill of others. I'm sorry. Right, that's, right. That's so you're in the, the San Jose area, right? Or no? Somewhat, yeah. I'm in the East Bay, but I'm in the general area. San Jose is kind of like in the south part of the general San Francisco Bay area. Had so, you heard yeah. of this latest measure that was the inspiration for her for this piece, which is that they want to put these little pods these 150 square foot pods for the homeless people to live in, and now that that's how they're going to hide the homelessness. 
No, I haven't heard of that. It's the most ridiculous sounding thing that. Uh, no, I haven't. I, every once in a while, one hears about there's like a tent city somewhere that someone needs to deal with, like to get the homeless out of there. And uh, by the way, sorry, there are no homeless under uh, Democrat presidents. I mean, you, you know, they they all disappear. They all get homes. And then when a Republican becomes president, all of a sudden the homeless problem is the greatest problem in the country. I mean, that's that's the way to do it. <laughs> Wait, you know, when, when Carter was president, no homeless. Reagan, everyone was homeless. Well, and the other thing was smoking was no big deal, uh, is, is no big deal while Obama's president. Yes. But before Obama <laughs> was president, there was a huge anti-smoking right. campaign, right? You know why? Because cause he yeah. smokes. It, well, you know, he's a smoker-in-chief. I know. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I meant. Okay. but I Oh, just, okay. That's I, fine. I spelled it out. That's fine. Um. Okay, so yeah, so with the with the pods and everything, I think this is just crazy. They're going to make it look all wonderful as if it's intentional for these people to live there. I mean, it looks like something out of Dwell, maybe, right? Dwell magazine, and Lipstick voila, voila, no, yeah, no more homelessness. Yeah. That's the real difference between a tent and a pod, except that one is more like organized and provided by the government. I, I and just, it's probably bad because of that. they're not really in a different situation. So I guess maybe that was Tammy's point that this is just another form of them trying to sweep something under the rug and say that oh, there's no more homeless because we gave them pods. That's just right. kind yeah. of sick, actually. Yeah, yeah. But then they'll be podless in the next administration, I guess. So. <laughs> Yes, someone's taking away the evil Republicans. They're taking away their pods. <laughs> the podless people. <laughs> They're taking homeless out of their homes. <laughs> oh, you know, if if somebody could just get the government out of the way, get this economy going, and then we don't have to worry about homelessness well, to the extent the that we do today. And the media out of the way, both of them. All right, them. right, exactly, exactly. So, any more, Debbie, before we go on to our next story, our big old story, which is the Benghazi cover-up? Uh, no, nothing else. Dude? <laughs> yeah, nothing else, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling in, dudette. <laughs> yeah, good talking to you. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, I still can't get over this dude thing. I, it's... Uh, you know, we could say dude here on the show, but even then, when I say it, I say it a little bit facetiously yeah. because I feel it's we never use that word. even I mean, informal for me. But on a, on a show talking about the uh, murder of four Americans, that's the whole context here. And he's like, hey, dude, you know, come on. He was, you know, we're just bureaucrats, you know, like, we're just, we're not serious. Again, don't be taken seriously. That's what they told him. And he, and he wasn't taken, taken seriously. That's the whole point. Let him talk about the dude thing. You and I have speculated about this before, and I have trouble believing that it actually could be true, although I'm getting more and more to the state where I might believe it's true, which is that Obama and his people spend time actually devising ways oh, no just to screw with us. No doubt about a hundred percent. Look at Obama. Look at him. He's a rat. He's that punk in the back of the classroom. That's who he is. Right. The troublemaker. The agitator. That's what he is. And he'll try to keep a cool front. But behind the scenes, this rat, imagine if we had audio and video of him behind the scenes. Imagine that. That's impeachable alone. Why doesn't the NSA have that? If they were doing their job, that's Well, he's exactly, the NSA. That's, that's why. exactly what we would have. Anyway, let's talk about someone who's very smart and his piece over at the National Review Online. Again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, where you can see the links to all the program notes for today. This is an article from National Review Online written by Andrew C. McCarthy, whom we've talked about before here on the show. 
And he's talking about this Benghazi thing from a unique angle, and I think a very convincing angle, which is this. He says that Obama's blame the video fraud started in Cairo, not in Benghazi. And he pointed out the fact that when earlier in the day on September 11th of 2012 when Benghazi happened, earlier that day, if you got, and I remember this, but I remember you know, not thinking about it for mm-hmm. a year and a half now, at least, or something. Do you remember that there was this raid of the embassy in Cairo? and that Yeah, the American embassy in Cairo. And the Al-Qaeda guys who raided it ended up putting the black flag of Islam yep. Yep. up in place of, I guess, the American flag I imagine on so, yeah. the embassy. They probably burned that flag. So... You know, that happened earlier in the day. And the other thing that we remember is that early that day, there were already tweets and different social media releases by our State Department condemning this video by Nukula Guy, the one they threw in jail and made a scapegoat. And McCarthy's point is that earlier in the day, they were already blaming Cairo on this video Mm -hmm. and so that when it came to Benghazi and then they started blaming Benghazi on the video they were just continuing what they were already doing and his point also is that the video was no more responsible for Cairo either than it was Benghazi it wasn't like it was actually responsible for Cairo and then this you know instigated other things and then it maybe mayor was you know not responsible for Benghazi he says it wasn't responsible for Cairo they were scapegoating the video for the Cairo thing already. They were already starting that precedent earlier in the day. And I think that that's something that hopefully will come out when they have this select committee. Hopefully. McCarthy's been one of the oh, yeah. the best, most calm, measured, you know, marshalling all sorts of evidence in, in favor of his case type yeah. of commenters out there. And I hope those behind this select uh, committee uh, committee have been reading McCarthy's pieces. I hope they have because he, he, keeps it on, he keeps it on point. This is what he says. and it, You know what I like? I like that he starts out this piece, here's the main point because he knows that his pieces can sometimes be long and you're trying yes. to get to the point but this one actually isn't too long. It's not but he, he, says, he says the rioting at the American Embassy in Cairo was not about the anti-Muslim video. And he says as argued here repeatedly, the Obama administration's blame the video story was a fraudulent explanation for the September 11, 2012 rioting in Cairo, every bit as much as it was a fraudulent explanation for the massacre in Benghazi several hours later. So I think he's showing you, look, if they can do it once, they can do it again, and they're especially going to do it when the stakes are even higher because it's not just that an embassy fell and that this flag was raised and whatever. Four Americans, including an ambassador, were killed, were massacred. Uh, Bosch is showing me a story here, Global Terror Spikes. What is it? Between 2012 and 2013, Global Mm. Terror has spiked 43% across the globe. Mm. And it's the idea that supposedly Al-Qaeda was decimated, a word that isn't even used correctly by anyone anymore. It means 10%, (laughs) taking out 10% of something. It's taken out only 10%, which is really not that impressive, right? Uh, We've taken down the uh, unemployment rate by 10% Mm. until the figures are adjusted next uh, month, but we'll just capitalize on it now. And Yeah. Okay. But no, so this is his point here, is that go ahead and look at what they did with Cairo 
and you'll see a pattern. And if you can show a pattern, a pattern of misrepresentation by our administration, I think the case is going to be made even stronger with respect to... Um, Andy is great. Andy McCarthy, yeah. but it's, it's never been the same since we had the debate. It was me, Robert Spencer versus uh, Andy and some baroness from, from the UK. We kicked their butt. And I think uh, ever since then, we just haven't been the same. So <laughs> It was called Islam versus Islamism. And it was, it was a name game that we're playing in the middle of a war. There's a live war going on. We're playing a name game about Islam. But we uh, kicked his butt, so it was awesome. <laughs> You guys did a good job. We did. You did a good job. But we he did. he nonetheless sticks with his terminology, he so he is a, a man. But the worst thing about him is that he knows full well uh, what Islam is. He's read the Quran. He's read everything he can get, he can get his hands on. He's read what, what I have read. It comes to a false conclusion. So. Well, he's a man of his conviction. He, he, be- but he's he believes. He's still excellent, it's, and, and I do respect well, him. Well, and this is what I think. In the end, I think he is a bit of an altruist. Yes, And yes. so I think it's altruism that is behind he his did, choice of terminology. He did concede this as well, though. He did concede mm-hmm. after the fact when he was rattled. Remember, he was really shaking and rattled. Remember mm-hmm. that? Uh, he said, i got to admit that sometimes I see conservatives and whatnot, and I know they're not conservatives, but they call themselves such. And I, I tell, oh, to hell with that. That's just BS. He goes, I, I guess you feel the same way about Muslims who call themselves. Yeah, exactly right. So he did make, you know, I made him aware of that at least. What I'm going to do is, even though we did play at the very beginning, I'm going to play again this clip of Tommy Veter on Benghazi using the D word to Brett Baer. Here we go again. Talking. Yeah. According to the emails and the timeline, the CIA circulates new talking points after they've removed a mention of Al Qaeda. Yeah. And then at 6:21, the White House, you, me, add a line about the administration warning of September 10th of social media reports calling for demonstrations. True. Uh, I believe so. Did you also change attacks to demonstrations in the talking points? You know what I like right there is that he said, you know, you added this line about social media calling for demonstrations. And he said, I believe so. And he swallowed yeah. hard. You can actually see him <laughs> swallowing this right. little Tommy Veter guy squirming. Okay, yep. so let's continue. Uh, maybe. I don't really remember. You don't remember? Dude, this is like two years ago. We're still talking about... The Dude, most mundane the process that everybody is the, talking about. We're talking about the process of editing talking points. That's what bureaucrats do no, all no, no, day no, no, long. No, 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 right. Producers edit scripts. We're talking about the cover-up of the murder of four Americans. That's what we're talking about. He, the, the, the scripts that they edit on Fox News every day just reporting the news. Yeah are the same as a government functionary. Now, listen he to that. Also, listen to how revealing that, that, that is, though, but that, listen. That, that they're storytellers right, at but, Fox. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, but, but, but listen to how revealing it is. See, at Fox, they are supposed to be telling stories. And you can even argue, okay, well, yeah, they're telling it from a story. But if you are a government functionary, you should be reporting to the American people exactly what's happening, yeah. what the risks are to them, what has happened to their personnel overseas, etc. The news media, of course, I think should also be objective. But imagine if our government is lying to us. He's basically saying, well, yeah. everybody just, you know, Everyone does that. Every, yeah. uh, we do that, you do that. One second. Uh, and in terms of this whole attitude here, do not take this seriously. They told him, this guy, don't take it seriously. Go out there and F around, you know. And uh, then if, if, if you remember um, Biden with his debate with uh, Paul Ryan, remember that? He was kept laughing and laughing. Remember that? The whole thing was mock them, don't take them seriously. And then with Obama, it's take me seriously. Only. Right. Take me seriously. But don't take if, if there's some attacks on me, just laugh it off. You know, no matter what it is. Four Americans said, so what? 
I have to get back in the White House. That was the whole point. That, that's why they did what they did. Exactly. The whole thing was keep everything smooth as silk. So they can destroy us for right. the second term. And that's what they're doing again up until the midterm elections now. And there's different things that we've been talking about that the administration is putting off until after the midterm elections. Crucial things like the Pentagon issuing reports about allocating military assets and troops. They have been legally required to do that in yeah. March and did not do it, May. and said, oh, gee, we can't give you a report until, oh, oh, I don't know, uh, November 15th. No. Let's just grab that date out of the blue. Um, they're trying to put new regulations on teacher training programs, but the regulations miraculously won't appear until after how the about, midterm elections. How about the sign-up numbers? I said, oh, our critics' sign-up numbers are wrong, but we won't give you ours because we don't know them. How about that the old day? Oh, yeah, of course, you know. of course. Anyway, let's look, uh, look, let, mean, let, let's once you accept that these are bad guys in charge, everything else makes sense. Yep. Let's finish the rest of the clip and we'll see. The demonstration. Yeah. Did you do that? No. What what are we what is the question? Did and I edit the CIA attacks? talking points? It was edited from attacks to demonstration. No, Michael Morell has testified about what he changed talking. Yeah. So he so so he said no, he didn't do it, and I guess Brett Bears got him on the record saying no that he didn't edit it from attacks to demonstrations. But dude, it was it was like two years ago and we've been lying about this for so long, it's exhausting. That's like imagine ages what, and imagine ages. Imagine what do you think about nine eleven? That was a dozen years ago, you know? Right, right. I have uh, no idea. No idea. But yeah, this guy this guy. No, but again, just don't but take gonna, it but seriously. The, that's, the whole, that's their whole talk. Right, right. Point. They don't want to take it seriously, but now they are going to they have, have to. to take it seriously. And that's the whole point. They're being forced to, which is awesome. The the coverage of this is, is being stepped up tremendously. So and you know what? One second. Boehner is allowing the like, you know, committee to happen now. Why do you think? What year is it this year? It's 2014. What's coming up a month away? Election. Election. So he's right. like, uh, don't forget me. Don't forget uh, I did this. I want my seat. I, w- I want to maintain my power, my uh, tanning saloon, limos, you know. <laughs> My drinks at the bar, you know, happy hours every hour. Here's a question for you. Uh, who is Doug Ross, Bosch? That's a blogger. It's a, just a blogger? A blogger. I mean, are, are you familiar with him? I am. He actually, okay. uh, he actually links to my stuff. Okay, that's and nice. I think he was cited by uh, Levin also. So it turns out that he has uncovered there are two different roads who have been involved with the Benghazi well, they're cover-up. On, they're, on the, they're on the same road. They're on the same road. Roads spelled R-H-O-D-E-S, two roads. One is the CBS News president, David Rhodes, and his brother is Ben Rhodes, White House Deputy National Security Advisor. And one of those rats is the ones who, uh, the the CBS head is one who basically kept, um, what's her name, what's her name, the really good reporter, uh, Atkinson. Atkinson, uh, Who kept her off. Off the off the grid above Benghazi, he tried to keep her off it as much as he possibly could. Because she was actually she was doing her job. To the bottom of it. She was actually doing her job. And she quit, by the way. She just, she started us. CBS was the only evening newscast not to cover the latest details on Benghazi. Hmm. CBS, the only one. Imagine that. Well, it's just it's you know this. All I oh, all, all I know is we should not have media in bed with no. politicians but, to the yeah, extent but, that we yeah, have to. Yeah, but Jay Carney, that Obama's second lie hole, worked for ABC. And then when, when they call him over, can you, can you be Obama's mouthpiece? mouthpiece? goes, I already am. Goes, yeah, but can you get paid directly? For, oh, okay. So you mean he wanted to get a specific you mean, changes. I guess he wanted to move somewhere else, but he'll, be, he'll do the same, same job. 
Lie for Obama. Lie for Obama, and that's what they're doing. I on did both that sides. then. I'll do it now. Right, right. I'll, exactly. I'll do it after I quit being the the uh, the uh, mouthpiece. Exactly, and and but all I can hope is that these stories that are coming out are going to make their way into the select committee. I'm hoping that the select committee is not just some sort of showpiece to get the Republicans reelected, and then after well, they get reelected, well, it's on, dropped. Or, you know that that's the reason why Ben is doing this. That's a fact. They'll, there might be good men behind the actual, you know, you know, committee, but you know Boehner's doing it only for this. Because we would have found out this information last year if he was a man. He would have made that happen last year. Instead, he's like, election year, months away? Okay, okay. Sip, sip. Now, can you check, Drudge, because I want to know what the latest in the timeline. This was all breaking this morning. And the first story I saw was that Daryl Issa subpoenaed Kerry yeah. to testify on Benghazi. Right. And then the thing that I heard later was mm. that um, the subpoena had been denied and so that therefore it was required to convene a select committee or at least vote on the convening of a select committee, which is what Boehner went ahead and announced. What do we got here on... Uh, yeah, it just says Boehner to form select committee and that that's developing. How did you hear who was going to be the head of the select uh, committee? Some, some news report. Trey Gowdy, he's going to do it. And I've, every time I've seen him, he seems like a man with conviction. He seems like he's a, a good guy in Washington. I think he has some morals, some right. leftover at least. He has some morals. And uh, for him to be in charge of it, that's a big sign that something's going to happen because there are four deaths here. There were four Americans who were murdered, and they try to cover that up. They they try to cover up the reasons why. That I think will be the killer. I think that I, that's why this is going the distance. You can't do that. Yeah. A, you, you you know you can't do that no. and lie to Americans for years about it. You just can't do that. And Appar- get apparently, you can lie about keeping your plan, yeah. although not really. Like, no, no, you can't. Uh, you can lie about you're going to save twenty five hundred dollars a year. But you know the the murder of four Americans, covering it up, and also. Think about it. The situation, the reason why they were murdered is because the Obama administration did not do his job prior to that. They were begging for help. They knew things were coming, and they didn't do anything then. The the link that I have, and this is the one that Drudge was linking to, was directly to John Boehner's website. Has you know itself. It's speaker.gov. Is it's what it's called, and press release Boehner to establish select committee on Benghazi. Yeah, the Boehner thing that is total cheese, hmm. right? Total <laughs> cheese is that he's got his own graphic. And, I mean, it's well done, I guess. But what it looks like is it looks like cheesy uh, sitcom text over a picture of the background of what was going on in Benghazi. uh, And it says, says, breaking news, the House will vote to establish a new select committee on Benghazi. And then at the bottom... Speaker.gov. He has somebody oh. make this graphic. They which make, is it, just, make it look like a card invite, like a like a party invite. It's like somebody gives you something that substantively you really want. And you're talking up in, like, in a cheese it's, way. It's like a new BMW given to you in some gross neon green shade or something. <laughs> right. I, but I, doesn't I, that tell you that he's not really, he's only doing this for election day? Don't forget, guys, I, if I didn't want this select committee, it wouldn't be happening. Okay, even though I've been trying to stall it for a year and a half to two years. Yeah, I mean, think of it, it's, it's like brought to you by speaker.gov, <laughs> exactly. right? No, that's what it looks like. He's advertising it. Ah, plus, uh, John Boehner will do this. Not the, not, not the House, not Republicans are finally, you know, 
showing that they might have something left in them, in the, in, in the tank at least, something. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, and I've got several other stories, so we got to get moving after the break. We are at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard, and now you're going to get a little bit of Jezebel. is Jezebel's Psychotherapy, one of my current favorites to listen to. That's actually off of their most recent release called The Brink, and that one's excellent as well, yeah, boss? Excellent. I just want to say, uh, Trevor asks here, uh, what happened to the story that the Muslims were just trying to help them in Benghazi? Do you remember those stories? Yeah. They sold the ambassador out, is what happened. They said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll befriend him, and you get him. That's what happened. That's what happened to the friendly Muslims there. And also, if you remember the stories, he was raped, raped, and supposedly he was gay, Ambassador Stevens, and he was raped. And that's what Muslims do, whether they're gay or not. They rape men. They rape uh, Jewish soldiers. Uh, those stories have went by the wayside. And 
I hope those are unearthed, however horrific it is. It has to be told. And that's the one thing about Islam when it comes to these things. It's so horrific, these stories, people don't want to talk about it. But, but you have to. Right. You have to. Right. And that's all. Yeah, I mean, you've told some stories about Painless. family members, houses, and the state of them, and like, oh, man. like all kinds of weird animals well, not, and stuff yeah, running but, around. And, yeah, not no, the animals yeah. running around. My family uh, in New Jersey, Muslim family, they pretended that they were not living in America. They had goats running around, chickens, and they, a, a goat attacked one of my family members. He broke its neck. You know, he called it um, a derogatory term for homosexuals and broke its neck. You know, this is just... But it's not as... Of course, you know, they did have a goat running around on How I Met Your Mother, so maybe it's not so (laughs) un-American after all to have the goat, right? That was New York City in in apartments. There's a house, so it's more civilized than (laughs) than that show. No, but the the things that it really engenders a kind of, um, I don't know, a lack of... Normalcy. I mean, where the where the abnormal becomes normal, where kicking your wife down the steps in front of a whole party is the given, and no one says anything about it, because well, that's his wife, that's property. Now, how are we doing on this whole list of things that we have to talk about today? We're going to have Boehner with his new select committee, so this is it's good. It's not his. Just you know, he can call it his. He can advertise all he wants. He was pushed and prodded to do this, and then last minute he said, you know what? I probably cannot not do this. And elections are coming, so let's do it. Well, that's an element that we're going to talk about just after we start the top of the second hour here is was he pushed to do this, perhaps even by Ted Cruz? No doubt about it. Or Which, the people who are buddies with I Ted believe Cruz 100%. in the House. That's no doubt that, had, that probably knocked over the edge because after Ted Cruz had that meeting with the House, days later, days later, days later, I think Cruz is basically, I think he's building a little army here in the House and the Senate. Saying guys, and also outside of that, he actually wants to bring in some new guys and come, come well, forward. Well, and this is where I think you know you do not need to quote work with other people. No. In order to be good, but you we'll, don't work with scum. I mean, we we talk about that the old day. Yeah. Said, you know, people people said Ted Cruz doesn't work with people. He he can't work with scum. So he says, I want to get the scum out and get some good people in. Then we can work, work together. Well, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk a little bit more about Cruz right here. We are going into I cannot believe at the top of the second no. hour, but go ahead and hang on, and we'll talk to you in a second. Off, and you are listening to the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard. I've got cartoonist Bosch Faustin here in the studio with me. How you doing? You ready? Good. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna dive in here. So we've been talking about the 
finally going to get a select committee on Benghazi from John Boehner. He's finally setting this up. I don't give him credit. I mean, seriously. Yeah, maybe. The, maybe. Leader, the leader was led to this. Say, hey, idiot, you have to do it. You have no choice. Well, and it's true. She was, what... she was, she was drinking at the bar in the afternoon. And they, they, I guess, talked to him and said, listen, John, you got to do this. Elections coming. He goes, oh, okay. Well, and what I had in mind when I put the links together over at DontLetItGo.com here on the program notes for today is that Ted Cruz may have had something to do with this, although no one is saying that that is the case. The link that I have is that Cruz hosted a secret meeting for some House conservatives the other day, and I guess this is the second such meeting that and the assumption was that it was about um, immigration but the fact is you know it's about a whole load of things and people said that they had a bunch of different issues that they talked about and that really he was just a facilitator and he you know wasn't a big thing but i find it kind of a coincidence that several days later we are actually getting this absolutely select committee no doubt and cruz has been posting about this issue all over his social media so we know that he's in favor of well, he's, doing been, he's been great about the Benghazi. But, you know, here, here let's, let's go back to the, the issue, and we were talking a little bit about it over the break, which is that people think Ted Cruz has to work with other people, and that, that you know, that's a good politician, is somebody who's going to be able to work with other people, and in particular, Tammy Bruce. I don't know, we have to talk to her, because she says Mitt Romney Ugh. is somehow better, because he can work Ugh. with people Submit to get things Romney. done. Submit, my man. Get up. And here, here's what I think. I think that if Ted Cruz can present the issues in a compelling way, which he has done all the way through, that he's going to get enough people to go along with him on issues to get things done. And Can Howard work work with Ellsworth Tui? I mean, right. can he? Right. To what end? Yeah. To Ellsworth Tui's ends. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. And if Cruz has to put it to people like John Boehner, in the terms of this is what you're going to need to do to stay in office because the American people want this. Debbie's got it. That's going to be it. Debbie's got <laughs> it. Debbie in the chat room here says that someone, could maybe it was Ted Cruz, who knows, someone threatened to limit Boehner's access to booze, cigarettes, and tanning beds unless he allowed the select committee to be created. Right. That's I it. Mean, remember when Boehner said that he would not yes. run for president? Because, because, not that no one would vote for him. Right, right. Which they wouldn't. Right. He said, "Well, I drink, I smoke, you know. So, uh, that that's that that's actually your your finest attributes." Yeah, he doesn't want to give up on those. Those things. are his finest attributes, anyway. <laughs> you know? That's when he's uh, not getting in trouble. But no, anyway, yeah, that may have been the case. But you know, here I think that if somebody could present to someone like Boehner or any of these other big government Republicans. The idea that if you don't go along with whatever Cruz is proposing, that you are simply going to be out of office because you will have become irrelevant to the American people. Because that's what Ted Cruz is doing. Ted Cruz is bypassing all of these people. Yes, he is. All of these politicians in Washington, he is bypassing them. He's going straight to the American people. And he is the one who speaks to and appeals to the American people better than any of these guys out there right now. And he does then, represent us in the, then in the American people will put the pressure on their particular politicians to vote for Cruz's things. That's how the working with other politicians is going to happen. Oh, yeah. It's going to be threatening their jobs. Absolutely. Right? You're going to oppose the American people on this level? Well, you will pay a price for it. 
and that's what Boehner, I mean, not, excuse me, not Boehner, that's what Cruz is doing. Cruz is showing you that people like Boehner are a risk to your health and welfare. Yeah, absolutely. And while Boehner tries to appeal to illegal immigrants, appeal to uh, Hispanics and, and boozers and all the other kind, uh, Cruz wants to appeal to Americans, like Reagan did. I mean, he, Reagan appealed to Americans, and uh, Tammy said the old day, and she brought up the, the idea that uh, the hack, what's his name, uh, Rand, Rand Paul, Rand, I am my father, Paul, uh, where he's appealing to every, every other group, black right. groups, Hispanic groups, this group, that group, right. whereas Cruz is appealing to Americans the way Reagan did. The way in Ameri- and, and what happens? You get landslides. You get landslides. Yep. That's what happens when you di- directly speak to Americans and represent them. Well, and that's the other thing that are going. It's going to make these other politicians want to work with Cruz. Exactly right. That's how you. You know, they you, want you to come lead. along for the party. You lead. Yeah. You don't go in, into a hellhole with Harry Reid. Hey, let me work with you. No, you say you piece of crap. If you want to survive <laughs> in this town, you get to work with, with with me, and working with me means working doing the right thing. You know, when we were looking at the two brothers, the picture of the two brothers, the two Rhodes brothers, mm-hmm. the one who's in the Obama administration, the one that works for CBS News. But they're not Rhodes scholars. I mean, look at them. Go on. <laughs> the one, they may have been, but it was probably <laughs> right. bought and paid for, right? But the the one who worked for the administration, the politician, looks so much worse <laughs> right. than the guy who works for media. <laughs> now, the guy who works for media, I don't think he's on camera. Yeah, but still, but he works in a television <laughs> You know what I mean? He wants to look a little more presentable, right? But I'm just thinking how these some of these people in politics, when you said, you know, piece of crap, and then when you think of, <laughs> like, McConnell and, uh, and Reed and how these so people are destroyed. just almost, they're just caricatures. They look so destroyed. It's like they go there and say, ah, destroy me, please. I, you you know, have me. You know. I don't know. I just, I just hope that all of this isn't too hard on, on Cruz, who seems to be living a good Honest life. I, you know, again, I don't know whether Cruz is the one who's bungo- you know, behind the Benghazi um, select I, committee. Look, one hundred percent. They must talk about it. Right. There are there are some members in the House, like this guy Frank Wolf, who have been adamant about doing this, especially you know, um, a select committee who've been adamant about it. And I think he went there, and they probably talked a whole gamut. And uh, look, Cruz went there, not not unwisely going. I look, guys, I'm the guy representing Americans. I might be the next president. He probably, probably didn't explicitly say that, but he's the leader right now. If there's a Republican, a moral leader in the, in the Republican Party, it's, it's Ted Cruz. There's no doubt about it. I mean, here, here's the thing. He may or may not be the next president. He may, oh yeah. But as far as I know, he is the next president of any consequence that is positive. No doubt. I mean, he is. <laughs> right? He, so he may, it may, it may not true, happen in 2016. No, but he's, but he's, he's a true Tea Partier. He does represent the, the Tea Party more than anyone out there. And if we bypass him and we get somebody who's better than him, he will have made that person Absolutely possible right. as exactly well. Exactly right. So, come, come September, we'll see. I mean, come, come November, excuse me. We'll, you know, we'll see how many more Ted Cruises are out there. I'm not sure if there will be, but let's see. And yeah, if there's a better one, please. Excellent. I think we're going to see more. The next link that I have on the program notes for today is not only something that I wanted to discuss in its own right, but it becomes particularly relevant when we talk about Benghazi and having a select committee, because this is a man who I interviewed, actually, for the Tammy Bruce show when I first was guest hosting for her last year in June. Uh, this is Ron Rotunda. He was a colleague of mine at Chapman University. And he, at the time when he w- was interviewed by me last year, he was already calling for the creation of a select committee. Yes. And 
as you may have known, he worked on the Watergate committee. So he was speaking from that experience and that he did think it was appropriate to go ahead and have a select committee in the case of Benghazi. And that was based on the information that was available last June. So imagine how much he's saying, I told you so now. And my question is, I wonder whether they will select him to help out. That would be very interesting. Why why the hell not? Given his experience, given that he is very fair-minded, again, he's on the order of a a McCarthy, and Andrew C. McCarthy, who always marshals evidence for his arguments. And he's highly regarded. Definitely highly regarded as well. So I'm hoping that we will see that. The article that I've linked to as well doesn't have to do with Benghazi, though. If you go over and check it out, it's an opinion piece that he just published in the Wall Street Journal, Endangering Jurors in a Terror Trial. And he is talking about a trial that's going on in New York. Uh, It's Mustafa Kamel Mustafa. And he's got another name that I'm not going to bother to pronounce here. And this guy has essentially aided and abetted Al-Qaeda in all different ways over a number of years. And he's being charged in relation to that. And the kind of unprecedented ruling that was made in this case, a, you know, a, a procedural ruling, is that Judge Forrest, who is you know, presiding over this case, denied denied the prosecution's application to keep jurors' names secret for their protection. Who appointed her? And who appointed her? It was Barack Obama. And what would be the consequence, the likely consequence of something like this, where people might not convict him? Imagine you are in a jury, and it is basically an Al-Qaeda member who is on trial, and you are being asked to reveal your name publicly. your life. And basically risk your life. Why? Because any other Al-Qaeda members that happen to be floating around, and I'm sure that they're out there, will know exactly who you are and can probably easily figure out and, where you live, even, where your family even lives. Even when they take precautions for a certain cases like this, they still, you know, the media, they still find where jurors are. But they're, he, she's saying basically, no, you have no chance of being covered. You, your name must be out there. Why? Why? She wants to make sure to have a jury that's going to vote. She wants to get this guy off. Right. As Obama would. Says the jurors may recall that various translators of Salman Rushdie's satanic verses were murdered over the years, apparently because they translated a book insulting to Islam. The best way for the jurors to protect themselves from revenge seekers is to vote not guilty, yeah. of course. And that's what he suspects that and they And that's what she wants. Want she wants to, to force herself into this situation. So uh, bravo to Ron Rotunda for pointing this out, talking about the extent to which this is unprecedented. He says, while the motion to protect the jurors was not a surprise, the judge's denial of the motion was. He says, in 1995, judge and later attorney general Michael Mukasey granted the prosecution similar motion when he presided over the 1995 conspiracy trial of 10 al-Qaeda terrorists, including the blind sheikh. He kept the identity of the members of the jury anonymous to protect their safety. Despite all the precautions, two jurors found reporters sitting on their doorsteps the day of the verdict, and they were, of course, terrified. Judge Kevin Duffy presided over the federal trial of the four principal perpetrators of the 93 World Trade Center bombing, and he also provided for anonymity. So there is precedent for the jurors in these cases to be provided anonymity, but not if you have a motion that comes before an Obama-appointed judge in New York City. And that is truly scary. Talk about getting any sort of a fair trial for this guy when the jurors 
cannot remain anonymous. I hope that there's an appeal process and that they can have an anonymous jury. But bravo to Ron Rotunda uh, for pointing this out. The story? I just want to see something good. Uh, well, that's fine. What was it? Yeah, he said something pretty well there. Uh, it, it, was, it was the last word. On uh, on yeah. Rotunda's piece. Okay, Ron let me go Rotunda's ahead and let me go ahead and pull it up, and then we'll see. Where is it? It is here. Let me go ahead and take a peek over here at the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio while you're doing that. Uh, Debbie says, what is the legal argument for declining to keep the jurors anonymous? Um, oh, I'll, I'll give you the argument in There's a, a second. There's a pro-Islam president uh, who appointed her, but anyway, sorry. No, that's, that's not it. Um, let me see. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Cites, an anonymous yeah, jury would cites, poison the atmosphere, says the... The, uh, the last paragraph. Yeah. Just read that. Which, this one here? Yeah. Oh well, this this is uh, this is Rotunda. Uh, yeah. Rotunda says that judges should not put their thumbs on the scales. Judges are like umpires. Umpires don't make rules; they yeah, apply but them. John Roberts said that the guy who did do what he said you shouldn't do with Obamacare. Anyway, true. Make them one comments. True, there's that as well. But um, let's let's look at what Judge Forrest actually said. She said that an anonymous jury would quote run counter to the cloak of innocence that surrounds any defendant on trial in this country. End quote. Can you believe that? How about a it would run cloak? counter to the cloak of innocence. So the idea that this guy might have allies yes. who are ready to go after the jurors. You're not supposed to actually admit that yeah. that might be the case. Right. But it's just it's, it's about his innocence, though. That's what it's all about, to, to protect him. I mean, that, that's what um, she's saying here. You know what? The our, jurors in, to hold in, them. In, in our country... We have witness protection programs. We're also doesn't, at doesn't, war. doesn't a witness protection program run counter to the cloak of innocence of the defendant? No, this woman's, I mean, she appointed by Obama. He knew she was poisoned. He said, oh, perfect. Perfect. Oh, my God. These people have their heads so far up, you know yeah. where. Yes, they do. Ay, ay, ay. Um, anyway. Bravo to Ron Rotunda for writing this piece, for pointing that out. And yes, I do hope that they pull him in on the Benghazi thing because he won't let anything happen. He won't let anybody get away with no. anything. Let's go ahead and take a call here. We've got a second call over here at Blog Talk Radio. Hi, who's this? Hey, Amy, this is Ed. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Ed. How about you? I'm doing great. I should have said Amy, dude. Sorry. Dude. Dude. No, no, dude. I am I am Ms. Dude to you. Ms. Ms. Dude. dude. Yes. Ms. Ms. Dude Esquire, really, because you're a lawyer. So. Right. And right. Dr. Ms. Dude. Do- Dr. Oh, Ms. Dude Esquire. Dr. Ms. Dude Esquire. Got it. Got it. I'll get that right next time. <clears throat> so what I want to talk to you about, uh, just a couple things um, on the uh, on the juror thing. Um, it it it's a perfect example of why. In a wartime situation, the civil judicial system is ill-equipped to deal with trying enemy combatants um, because, uh, you know, I think the judge, honestly, I think the judge sort of has a point. It's just that this person should never have been in that courtroom, right? I mean, right. In, a regular, in a regular criminal trial, um, you know, secret juries, I, I, they don't comport with the due process, but why is this a regular c- a civil trial, right? I mean, that's, that's the problem. It's, it's the screwed-up nature of, of trying to treat the enemy in a war as if they were a, an armed robber or a, a, you know, a tax cheat or something like that. I mean, right. it's just and, ridiculous. And, and there probably wasn't even an excuse to be doing this back in 1995, 
but there certainly is not an excuse to be doing this now. Exactly, exactly. Now, the other one thing I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, because I live outside of Washington, I get the Washington News, and I, I follow politics. Almost everything you see in Washington is just a giant smokescreen, right? You know, the, but there are a few serious things that, that people can do, like all of these uh, alleged sanctions that we have on the Russians right now, all complete nonsense. Right. So total, total BS. Now, sanctions, when they announce sanctions, of course, it's all, it's all easily evadable, right? Um, but occasionally they'll put on real sanctions, which they did for like a year or two on Iran with their financial dealings. And as soon as they started hurting Iran, and they did start hurting Iran, um, of course, the United States under Obama pulled back on those sanctions. So right. you, you got to kind of get through the smoke tree. Now, on the Benghazi thing, the select committee is a serious thing, whereas these other co- committees are not serious. And it all has to do with the hearings. In a regular committee hearing, the bozos politicians on the committee do the questioning, and they get, like, limited time, like five minutes or whatever, to do the questioning. So it's a complete joke. The witnesses can filibuster, and they can't get answers. With the select committee, they appoint a majority council and minority council, and those guys are serious dudes, and they do the questioning, not the bozo politicians. And that's how you get answers from the witnesses. You don't get answers by having idiot politicians. I mean, some of them might be smarter than others, but they're all grandstanding for the cameras and C-SPAN and the news anyway. You get real lawyers who are skilled at asking questions to depose these witnesses, and that's why a select committee is serious. Right. So, right. you know, the question is, the question is why, to, why did it take two years or, or, or you know, so long uh, to do it? And I think because in Washington, they want to look like they're doing something serious, but not do something serious until, the, until it's sort of overwhelmingly necessary. And I think this Well, and I was it. thinking that, like, you know, basically Boehner could not get away with not doing anything now. So there's that issue. I mean, it, there's just so much evidence out there that if he doesn't do anything, he looks like all he's doing is playing golf and drinking wine and smoking cigarettes and laying on a tanning bed. But the other thing is, the accus- you know, the accusations of racism, every time you criticize this administration are so pervasive out there, basically Obama will say, oh, you know, the only, the only last time they had the select committee and the this and this is Nixon, and I'm not even anything like Nixon, you know, blah, blah, blah. It must be racism. And that's what I wonder, that basically Boehner wanted the case to be so overwhelming that he would be immune to accusations of racism, or maybe he feels he's got enough now that he can pummel Obama and Obama can't make good on any of the threats that he's put back at Boehner. I, I kept it's thinking stable. that they, they must have something on Boehner, that, that NSA's got something on Boehner. Or I don't know. Or he's just a coward. Because I, I, could, I couldn't yeah, imagine I mean, why Boehner didn't do it sooner. I, I think Bosch has got it right. I mean, Boehner is a go-along to get-along guy, right? I mean, in a lot of respects, these guys are conservatives in the sense of they want to conserve the status quo. They want to conserve right. their positions. They want to conserve the government the way it is today. Something right. radical comes along like Obamacare, yeah, they oppose it. But as soon as it gets passed, it's like, well, now we're going to conserve that too, right? Because that's what conservatives right. mean, right? I mean, they're going to conserve 
the status quo almost all the time. Well put. Yeah, I know that that's the true meaning of conservative, but it's sad. And I was talking about it. I can't remember if it was in the Tammy show that we guested on Tuesday or the week before on Friday. In uh, you know, in the Drudge Report recently, they have how a leader, GOP leader, says Obamacare is here to stay. Like, mm-hmm. oh well, it's just a done deal. We're just going to accept it, and that's going to be life. And that is just a terrible, terrible attitude. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's what you get when you get conservatives. All right, dude. I'll see you next right, Friday. Dude. Thanks, dude. Talk to you then. That was very well put. Ed, about uh, they do want to conserve the status. The status quo. The status quo, exactly. To conserve exactly. the status quo, yeah. period. And he's right. They're opposed to Obamacare until it becomes the, you know, acceptable by law. Oh, okay. Who are we targeting against that? We have to accept those. We have to conserve it. Well, and they're, you know, they're still waiting in the wings. I mean, maybe if the evidence comes out overwhelmingly that it's terrible so that they're actually, they're, they, leaders. They, they don't want to do anything that constitutes too much of a risk. I mean, I mean that's really the way even, that I see Even it. if they got a 100% rating Obamacare, they could still oppose it fundamentally if you're a good human being, if you think. So, well, this is still evil. You know, I put a couple of the stories at the blog at don'tletitgo.com, and we may go into a, a little bit more later, but I doubt it because we got a lot to do after the break. But one is that a GOP report says that only one in three, actually, no, only uh, two-thirds, two-thirds, only two-thirds of the Obamacare enrollees have actually paid for their plan. What? So here's, here's the administration saying we meet our we goal. You know, we've achieved our goal of the 7 million or 8 million signups or whatever it is. But imagine that a third of those haven't really signed up because they haven't actually paid for the product that they supposedly and are buying. A lot of them are not the young ones that they wanted. Right. And that's the, the other. Majority. That's the other. And thanks for sending me these links, Bosch, by the way. Only 28% of the enrollees are 18 to 34 in that 18 to 34 age range that they were hoping to get. So if you want to check out those stories and all the other things that we've been talking about today, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you can check out all of those links. If you want to participate, discuss here in the chat room, go to Blog Talk Radio. You can also call in as Ed did and as Debbie did. The phone number to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. 888-5817. And I think I'm going to go ahead and get a little bit adventurous with our music over the break. different that was kings of leon sex on fire do you approve of this message boss it's mine <laughs> was this yours am i in your library right now no i think you gave it to me is yeah, that right? right did you give me this song okay excellent 
So we're in our little four-minute break. If you want to talk about any books that you've been listening to, any? No. No I books this week? Not, not, no books this week. I, I think we had a busy week because we also filled in for Tammy. Right. right? And I've, I've been listening to uh, uh, sports radio. Because NBA, of, because of the NBA playoffs. right? And there's some good stuff this week, especially because of the uh, the uh, Sterling, the racist case, and all that. And but um, we still we still do have to talk about that, by the that way. That and uh, also the other breakdown, hopefully, of the of the video. Right, right. Yeah, no. We're, well, we're going to do the breakdown excellent, of the video. Excellent. We've got we got plenty of time in the last segment to do these cool. things, and we have to finish on some good news. I I've got some good news TV. stories. <laughs> when am I going to be on TV again? Oh, October. <laughs> Are we really going to talk about that again? I think every day, every time, every show until October. So when you're going to be on television in October. Well, I, I, I can um, be on two more times before I'm on October. In, television. Um, I'm sure. in light of the fact that you're going to be on television in October, are you listening to books that are relevant to people who are going to have television appearances it, it, in October? I'm not listening to any books, but I, I, I will this week again. There's a number of them. I, I've, been listening to, I, I've, been, I've been reading a Diana West book, um, American Betrayal. You know, which is excellent. Uh, it's 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 about basically the infiltration of communist ideas into America since you know the, the 30s and the uh, Roosevelt administration, and how you can compare that to today with the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. Yeah. We should hear more about that. And I've been listening some to Greg Gutfeld's book, but I okay. need to finish that book so that we can actually yes. do our little review right. here on the show. I listened to a bunch of it, and it was funny because there's one sentence in which, actually, yeah. it is the most convoluted <laughs> sentence in the entire and a why. book. That's a pretty good reason why. And it's something like this. It's like, you can't go around wearing a blue jacket and carrying an atlas shrugged and not think that somebody's not going to question you. There's so many nots, right. there's so many negatives in this sentence that you actually can't understand what He probably would saying. not have written that passage if he read Atlas Shrugged also, because he doesn't know, I mean, he hasn't read it. Right. Anyway, he, we will. He, he determines. He's determinedly not reading it. We will talk more about that and about you know maybe he isn't reading Atlas Shrugged and why isn't he reading Atlas Shrugged? Well, he's determined not we, to. When we do him the and some other conservatives, they're like determined not to. I will not read it. <laughs> it's true. That that's their one stand. If you would like to listen to Greg Gutfeld's book or any other book at Audible, the audiobook seller, get a free trial. Go to audible dot audibletrial.com forward slash. Amy Peikoff, A-M-Y-P-E-I-K-O-F-F. You can also find the link at my blog, okay? You know, I always thought that that might make a fun intro for a show. Yeah. It's kind of upbeat. Yeah, it is. That is Muse, a song called Map of the Problematique. This is Amy Peikoff. I've got cartoonist Bosch Boston here. You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard. We've got the last segment of the show, and there's a few things to talk about here, but I think you've got something you wanted to start with. Is that right? Well, just about this. I don't think there's any more to be said. I mean, this is no, I mean, about the whole Sterling, the racist, and the mm-hmm. LA Clippers. 
you know, my main problem with it, yeah, this guy's a racist. He said these these terrible things. He was, from what I gather, illegally recorded, so he shouldn't have been available to us. But you can't unhear it. You can't. It's, you can't put it back. So they got together and said they want to wipe him out, get him get him out of the NBA. But my my problem here is, as I put it here, I, I write, um, I said, uh, America's tolerance for black racism, because uh, one of the arch racists of our time, Jesse Jackson, ends up at the Clippers game when the owner of the team is banned from the games banned from anything having to do with the NBA, and he got a racist, hardcore racist, in the middle of the floor, smiling, getting off on it. And he, he, uh, he said, we have a high tolerance for racism. So I, I, I tweeted, I said, we have a high tolerance for, and I put in parentheses, my racism. We have a high tolerance for Jesse Jackson's racism, for Snoop Doggy Dogg's racism, for Spike Lee's racism, who looks at interracial couples with daggers, as he says, and for uh, Al Sharpton. So I brought said, a closet white racist, Donald Sterling, Owner of the NBA team, the LA Clippers, gets universally shunned by America and ends up being banned for life from the NBA. Now, that's, think about that also. He gets universally shunned. There's no Donald Sterling supporters out there. That tells you where white racism, white racism in America is, is intolerable. It's the black racism, racism that's a problem that is accepted. And it tells you something about what people think about blacks in a sense where they don't respect them enough to condemn them for it. They're like, well, they're black, so I'm not going to condemn them as racist. And... As some black racists say, blacks cannot be racist. That's also intimidation to the point where meaning, don't call me racist, because if you call me racist, well, you're the, racist. And, and the thing that got me about what this, you know, they're saying that blacks can't be racist, yeah. and then if you press right. them, yes. if you press them, apparently the explanation was blacks can't be racist, because in order to be a racist, you have to both be a racist and have the power yeah. to do something about it. So and that kept... struck me. that struck me as so bad on two different levels. First of all, it's this idea of economic power, right? You know, bringing up this whole idea of economic power again yeah. uh, and, and equating that basically with some sort of ability to initiate force, which is not the case, right? And then the other idea is it, it's selling out, selling blacks short in effect. It's yeah. saying that basically blacks could never be in a position <laughs> to do anything with their irrational racism that could harm whites. And that is just simply not and true. And saying also, it's like, but, but if we do have the power, they will do it almost happily. It's like, whoa, I mean, racism is evil, right? I mean, don't you agree with that? Like, but also, you can't be a poor racist with no influence. You can't be walking around just hating other people of, of different races because you, have no, because you have no power. Of course you can. This is a way for him to say, don't you dare call me racist. And right. I can say, and also, I want to say anything I want to say without being called racist. So don't you do it. And, uh, you know, until black racism is as intolerable as white racism is in America, I agree that, quote, unquote, more needs to be done. Because every racist out there is saying, well, more needs to be done. Yeah, this guy's kicked out, but more needs to be Yeah. You know what more needs to be done? Racism as such needs to be condemned. Black, white, whatever. Exactly. Condemned. Exactly. But what do you think? And I linked to this Mark Stein piece over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. And it was that, uh, you know, Stein says that it's worse what the NBA did to Sterling than what Sterling said or anything else. And he says, in a free society, you should be able to make racist remarks in private without being fined and losing your property rights because yes, the alternative but, is worse. Yeah, uh, it, that sounds good, but the fact is these hor horrible reasons, they were horrible. He basically, basically spoke to them as if they were his slaves. I gave them homes, I gave them clothes, I gave them this, I mean, about, about blacks, where these guys actually busted their ass and worked hard for it and earned, what, earned their millions. You know, I mean, the fact and of the matter is, is that, that you can make these remarks in private without being fined and without oh. losing your property rights. Um, but if 
somebody who you have entrusted, apparently this yes, woman he trusted to make these recordings, bimbos. ends up letting them out of her sight or making them public on purpose. You, you, who knows what she did? You can't put it back in the bottle. It's over. Yeah, so Jeannie can't, can't go back in the bottle. You can't yeah. say, well, it shouldn't. Uh, that's not a point. Now we know this guy's a, a, a racist, and he owns a, a team, and NBA finds that unacceptable. They are a private organization and say, well, we don't want you, we don't want to be associated with you at all. You know, I'd be interested to know what Mark Stein thinks about the ability of a bakery, you know, to yeah. discriminate against the homosexual couples that want a right. wedding cake and I, I, all I those know, types of things. I don't know what you would think. I don't know, but you have every right to do that. Yeah. You have absolutely every right to do that. Right. Just as the NBA has every right to say, look, if we find out, you know, you can say what you want in private, absolutely. but if somehow yeah. it becomes public that you are a racist incontrovertibly, then, yeah, you can have nothing to do with us. It is a private organization, and you're not depriving him of his property rights. No, you're not. Unless, unless somehow the NBA is acting outside of the contract that they have with all of the member teams and everything else. But I assume that there's some provision in there that says you have to conduct yourself with a certain amount of decorum, yeah. unlike, for instance, members of the Obama administration who go on Fox News and go, dude, the NBA, you know, the team owners, they actually have to connect themselves with a bit of decorum. So what I was about is also about, uh, about Sterling. This tells you the lack of racism in America. Institutionalized racism is over. It is out. Right. It's an individual issue. Uh, that's why everyone is focusing on Donald Sterling. I mean, that's it. He's, you know, it's like he's, he's Hitler as far as they're concerned. He killed a million people as far as they're concerned. He's the worst guy in the universe. And he's not. There are, um, who knows how many Donald Sterlings there are, but we don't know. That's right. the whole point. Right. We don't know of any. Uh, but, 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 but the acceptance of black racism is racism. Because what you're saying is, well, they're black. So what do you expect? That's what, no, but that's what they're exactly, saying. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And that's and, what and, blacks and, are and also counting And the idea that they're going to rely on this, you know, it's racism is power or whatever, that, that's <laughs> ridiculous. That, I mean, think about it. No, but also, the, the idea is only whites can be racist. That, that's the idea. By, by saying blacks can be racist, only whites can. Now, one thing we got to get into now is something that we promised to do when we were hosting on Tammy Bruce the other day, and that is to dissect what Bill Whittle and Andrew Clavin have said about Ayn Rand. You uncovered this clip on YouTube. Yeah. I don't know if they're still doing this segment, but they were for at least a time a doing a segment where they would take questions from either the Facebook followers or the subscribers to PJTV and answer them on video. So here's a clip of Clavin and Whittle talking about Ayn Rand. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of fast forward into a little bit because they do a little bit of an intro and everything, um, probably about 45 seconds in or so. So let's go ahead and play and, and see what they have to say here about Ayn Rand. You're right. PJTV has done much to help the promotion of the film version of Ayn Rand's novel Atlas Shrugged in recent weeks. Both of you have offered your own thoughts regarding religion and conservative culture on PJTV and elsewhere. How do you square your opinions with Rand's ideas, particularly as the film attracts more readers to her works? All right. Well, I've read a, a lot of Ayn Rand. I, I think, for me, there are three ways to look at Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. One is the kind of worshipful, uh, cultic way that uh, that her some of her followers do. Oh, like every, a religion. Every, it's like a religion. Every word she says. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, look, she predicted every. Uh, conservatives sometimes to dismiss someone, they say, "Oh, it's just like religious." Rush says it about about people. Uh, right. Mark Levin. And think about what the implication here also. Right. This just just, it's just it, faith. You know, it's just faith. Right. There's no rational my, agreement. My faith is rational and great, but their, their, their faith isn't anyway. Right, I'm right. sorry. 
everything and it's all coming true. And you know what? There's an element of truth to that. And then, of course, there's the opposite uh, way where you say, well, and then, you know, he says that she's prophetic. So Clavin (laughs) admits that she's prophetic. So now he goes on to the one that he says is the opposite. She glorified rape. She was selfish. She only cared about money. Uh, She had this kind of um, idea of the powerful man. She worshipped a serial killer and all this stuff. And there's an element of truth to that, too. She was a... Amen. Yeah, the idea that there's he a, wants to, no, he wants to send those things out there. Right. I mean, whether he, he believes in it, just make, make sure I say that. I mean, because yeah. I have to discredit her because she didn't believe in God. Okay, let's just let, let's not forget that she didn't believe in God, so therefore she believed she uh, fell in love with a, a, a serial killer. Right. You know that one that, that story. Right? No, yeah, that was that was a horrible yeah. story. Yeah. And if you look at her journals, if you look at Ayn Rand's journals and read them for what they are, you know that this supposed story that she was obsessed with a serial killer or whatever is a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. But you have to actually read her journals yes, in yeah. context. You have to actually read Ayn Rand. Yeah. 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 And, and, and <laughs> as, as we'll see, Bill Whittle has not read Ayn Rand. But we asked him also. But, has, has he read? He goes, no, people yeah. always ask me. Why do you think people always ask you? Yeah, because there's a lot of ideas yeah. that he takes. But anyway, let's, let's listen to the clip of it damaged uh, person in a lot of ways. She's a damaged person. She's a damaged person. They, he, he's, he's making that judgment because yeah. he was her psychologist or something. <laughs> yeah. What she is, is a very typical of a certain kind of artist philosopher who takes a view. She's typical of a certain type of artist philosopher. <laughs> now, now, who, I mean, who is a conscious artist philosopher? I mean, I'm mean, I mean, serious. People, okay, as I read said, all artists are philosophers in that sense. They have a way of life. And, right. But she was explicitly a philosopher and a novelist. Right. I mean, explicitly. That's very rare. Stuart in the chat room says that to conservatives, damaged person is redundant. And yes, I, I definitely think that's you, true. That to the rest of us may seem extreme, but in going to that extreme place, she illuminates certain that's thoughts right. that lie right. outside uh, the, the realm of polite discussion. Among those thoughts, some of the most important of those thoughts are liberal. that a, a person acting oh, for selfish reasons, yet creatively, may do a lot more good than a person acting on the most pious, uh, loving motives. Uh, now, Rand's point was not that the person acting for selfish motives might do so much good for other people. Now, it is true that, you know, the whole invisible hand and Adam Smith, and everything, sure, that's true. But the point of the action is not to benefit others. It yes. is to benefit yourself. And Rand's unique argument is that it is moral, it is perfectly good to pursue your own happiness. Remember what the Founding Fathers put yeah. in the Declaration of Independence? Life, want, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, did they say the pursuit of others' happiness? No, they said the pursuit of your happiness. They and yet, Clavin and Whittle are all concerned with, well, what's the argument for doing good for yes. others? Let's listen as Clavin talks about what his main problem is with Rand. Uh, and, a, and another idea of hers that I find very powerful is the idea, of course, that trade is one of the few nonviolent uh, occupations of man, while taxing is, in fact, a violent occupation. Mm. It's a, an assertion of force, which she would have called an initiation of force. So, so kudos to him for, yeah, for pointing uh, out that, that she recognizes that taxing is an initiation yeah. of force, so he got that part. Uh, against someone else. And those are really important thoughts that are, uh, sometimes lie outside the bound of, boundary of what we think of Christian thinking, of love your neighbor. What she fails to answer is why we well, should she fails to answer to him. what's good for society. Why we should... Okay, wait, and I have to go back again. Christian thinking of love your neighbor. What she fails to answer is why we should care at all what's good for society, why we should care at all whether it's better for us to have powerful, creative people uh, or not. Uh, and of course, I think... So that's the thing. What she fails to answer is why you should care about society. That is not her main concern. No, it's his concern. 
It's his concern. He says so, she didn't answer me. She didn't say what I wanted to hear. Right. What the hell? Unless she answers whatever his pet issue is and yeah. gives some moral reason why you have to care about society. Or why do we want the wealth creators? Because it can only be judged in relation to society as a whole, per Clavin, I'm sure. Right. It's the, the, the fact that the wealth creators are going to create wealth for themselves and make themselves happy and have good lives, that's not good enough That's for almost him. to be dismissed, actually. Like, yeah, do, do, do that for that. But what's the further reason? Right. The moral reason. Well, and then now, I mean, I think Clavin, his interpretation and presentation of, of Ayn Rand is just wonderful compared to what we're going to oh, hear yeah. from Whittle here in a second. So hold on. Philosophy kind of bottoms out at that point and, uh, and fails to explain itself. And yet there's a lot there and a lot, as, as uh, her followers say, that has predicted uh, what's happened now and the way it's happening, too. Yeah, I think I, think I pretty much agree with you. It seems like I, I haven't read any of her books, actually. I'm Shame on yeah, you. What the hell? And, I, you know, again, I fast-forwarded through 45 seconds at the beginning. They did all this silly stuff. And the reason I think he was so silly in the beginning is because he knew he He's shouldn't be prepared. talking about this topic. Exactly. He's not prepared. You, Bill Whittle, should not no. be talking about Ayn Rand. And we're going to listen why here in a second as he reveals how bankrupt his understanding of her is. I'm fairly familiar with him, but I, I certainly understand that the essence of the philosophy. I think Ayn Rand took... Well, he understands the <laughs> essence of the philosophy without having I read have, any. I, I have stayed Ayn clear Rand. from her, but I, I, I get her. I, I know she's easy to get, right? This is this is Bill Whittle says. Uh, Stuart in the chat room is talking about Steve Green. Steve Green, as far as I know, has read Ayn Rand. Yes, He's a fan of hers. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Bill Whittle has not well, no. read. For Adam Smith, sort of an unknown, the invisible hand, people acting in their own self-interest, and really explored and fleshed out exactly, precisely how and why that works really got into specific examples. I think when you deal with things like uh, the whole going golf thing, the whole idea that producers finally reach a point where the, where the, uh, you know, the, they're treated as a host organism, and when the, and the parasites get on so thick, it's time to just check out and say so long. She has a tremendous ability to understand and How's focus you know? on who the real heroes in society are in terms of who makes the wealth that everybody generates. Who makes the wealth that everybody generates? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Who makes, who makes the, wealth the wealth that, that everybody, everybody generates? Consumes. Yes. He can't even no, articulate the point. No, but he can't talk about Rand, and he shouldn't be. He what the hell is this? He shouldn't be talking about her. I think for most people, probably myself included, where you get to the point where it becomes difficult is whether this is actually true of what Rand says or not. Many objectivists are accused of, of, a, of an attitude that's basically, yeah, the baby's lying in the street starving. Sorry, not my problem. If I, if I start taking care of that baby, the whole system falls apart. That kind of... That kind of ability to say that yes self-interest is important and yes self-interest indeed does create all of the wealth and the wonder of the world doesn't i think mean that acting outside of self-interest is inherently bad and a lot of randians i've run into online randians? kind of take that position <laughs> okay so first, first of all he has to preface that stupid idea that it would be bad according to objectivism to help a baby, a helpless baby who's crying on the street. He has to preface it. Well, it may or may not be true, but, but, some people portray him this I way. I feel it's true. And then, yeah. And then he says, well, uh, some people that I've encountered online are kind of this way. Randians. So he puts this idea out there <laughs> that A, he admits he doesn't even know whether it's true. And it's, kind of the sort of thing that Randians have sort of said to him. And he's never read any Ayn Rand, and he's putting this out here as a Seven position. says Bill Whittled. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. Bill whittled. I oh, like that's it. so sad. But listen, I mean, seriously, the the baby is like, what the hell, man? There's a baby there. Keep walking. I mean, that's it. That's it. I mean, it's it's getting in the way of your nice walk, you know. You know, the the other day I was I went to Home Depot. I was getting something for the house, and I told the story on Tammy Bruce. So if you heard it, then I'm sorry for the the repeat. But I am driving down the street. And it's a residential neighborhood, but some of the streets start to get a little bit busier as you start to leave the residential neighborhood. And this street was one of the busier ones. And suddenly, across the street, four little dogs just run across, maybe about, you know, a block ahead of me or something. And I'm not going very fast. So I pull over to the side real quick, judging that I might actually be able to get these little dogs to go back on their little side residential street and maybe save them from getting splatted. Because I've seen a dog get splatted before, a dog that I wasn't able to help because everything was so fast and it was a really major street. Nobody could have saved this little dog. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can do this. And I park my little car on the side and I, oh gosh, I hope nobody comes and smashes the rear end of my car coming around this corner, you know, whatever. But I go and I get these little dogs and um, I, they, they won't come near me, but I'm able to kind of shoo them back where they came from. And I found a neighbor who says, oh, yeah, I think those are my neighbor's dogs. Okay, yeah, and they're going to get them to go back where they're going. Okay, phew, I go back on my way. So Bill Whittle would say, hey, I'm going against objectivism by helping these little dogs. You sacrificed how many minutes of your life? I'm acting out of my – I'm I'm not within my self-interest to do that. You have no interest to do that. No. You have no emotion. You're like, ah, you're just cold by us. I I guess these creatures, i got to put them on the side of the street. That's right. But he he understands the essence of her philosophy. He understands what self-interest is. Come on. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's like this one. Someone reads Fountainhead. She just said what I always thought. Uh, Actually, no. No, that's not true. She thought and thought and thought and thought and thought and then wrote. And you had the pleasure of sitting back and getting the hard work into you in that easy way where you say, well, no, it's very difficult to do what she did. It's very difficult also if you're coming from, from from where he's coming from to understand her, especially if you don't read her. Who the hell is he to talk about her? That's the thing. I mean, he just, he can't. And, and again, with all of the prefaces and the disclaimers and, well, they sort of kind of sound... I mean, listen. And, and the reason why people ask you, Bill, have you read Ayn Rand is because you are good. You know, he's very good out there. Yeah. That's the reason why. Right, right. Let's go back in well, here a little. Wonder of the world. Yeah. Doesn't, I think, mean that acting outside of self-interest is inherently bad. And a lot of Randians I've run into online... Kind of so, take that position. Well, they take How the, dare you help that baby? Yeah, they take the extreme position. How dare you help that baby? So you say, Amy, how dare you help those four <laughs> little dogs? I saw Bill Whittle on the street all day. He was like uh, bleeding on the side of the road. And I was like, I just, I said, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm an objective. I, I was doing nothing. I said, to hell with you. He goes, please. I said, to hell with you. It was weird. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think it's Thomas Sowell uh, who says this is that when liberals talk about spreading the wealth around, they're coming into the middle of the conversation. They forgot the part of the conversation where we say, where does that wealth come from? And Ayn Rand answers that question with a vengeance, you know. Uh, it's the vengeance part of it, uh, or as you say, the extremist part of it, that, that I think, um, that I, I actually think doesn't make logical sense because it doesn't answer the question of why we should care about the creation of wealth. So religion makes logical sense, but not Ayn Rand. So, so- 
he says, Ayn Rand doesn't understand why we should care about the creation of wealth. Why? Because the only way it would make sense to him, yeah. Andrew Clavin, is point. whether the creation of this wealth had to be was, you know, for the betterment of society. She didn't tell me what my religion told me, in essence. And therefore, I have to, to, I have to dismiss. But I have to say, I can't dismiss her outright because she was, she was a genius. She was great. So my answer to Clavin, yes, you got part of the story. But the thing that you need to understand is that Rand says that the reason to create wealth is for yourself, for your own rational self-interest. And your rational self-interest, yes, it can encompass other yes, people. Yes, it can. And it can your loved ones, your friends, other physical the world. beings like dogs who are of value to you. So you <laughs> may put out that. effort to uh, help these creatures. Sometimes that's part of your selfishness. Sometimes that's part of it. But... At least, Clavin, kudos to you. At least. You've, you've read her. He re- you, you clearly understand part of it. He reluctantly gave her credit, and, but he did. And Bill Whittle, for everything that I love that you do, please uh, don't talk about Ayn Rand until you read her. If we please see him again, don't. we have to sit with him, hopefully, get a few minutes just talking, because it's just, what he said there was ridiculous. You, just, you see a baby there, you say, ah, to hell with the baby. I mean, that's just stupid. That's stupid. I, I don't know any. I would, I would love what, him. You need to believe in God to actually help that baby? If you were one of the quote-unquote Randians who told Bill Whittle that you shouldn't help the baby... Um, <laughs> quote-unquote quote unquote, Randians? What the hell is that? Let me know. Who calls himself a Randian? But otherwise, I'd love to have Whittle tell me who it was. So I think, I think we got enough of the essence of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the big thing with Clavin is he can't understand. She has to explain how and why you should be doing good for society. And since she doesn't do that, then she just doesn't get to the, my, whole, uh, the know, whole story. To, to my desire couple other stories before we're done here. Uh, first, a, one yucky one before we go into the good stuff. The yucky one is that the Subway, the, the Subway Sandwich Company in the UK has caved to the demands of Muslims and has removed pork from their menu and will sell only halal meat. Yes, they're becoming more Muslim. England's becoming more Muslim. and They're becoming more in, in sync with Islam and Sharia law. Less Western, more Muslim. That was courtesy of Jihad Watch. And really, I just wanted to point out Muslim, to you, Muslim pigotry strikes again. It might be something that's coming to a subway near you here in the U.S. unless we stand up and fight about it. I, yeah, I think that there's enough of a love of bacon in the U.S. that's going to save us. I you hope know. so. I got, uh, the, I got this one poster about the pigman on Muslim, on Muslim pigotry. He says, eat me. That's right. That's right. Uh, Tony Blair has been kind of burning up the airwaves lately a lot, saying some good things. I think it's things. personal. Saying I, some good I things. I think it's personal. Yeah? His sister-in-law you know, converts Islam, and she's been very brutal to him, mocking him at every turn, calling him every name in the book. And I think he's, I think he's sick of it. He's and been, whatever, whatever reason he got there to, 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 to where he's getting, fine. That's fine. He has denounced the Muslim Brotherhood yes. in a speech on Islamic terrorism, according to Daniel Greenfield over at Front Page Magazine. He says, this is slow going, but keep in mind this is taking place within a mainstream discourse and that in the context there are significant gems. He says, Blair clearly denounces the Brotherhood, urges a recognition of Islam linked to politics as the problem, and suggests substituting religious freedom for democracy as the X factor in Muslim reform. He even mentions the Muslim Brotherhood's penetration of Europe. And Greenfield says, while there are plenty of flaws in Blair's speech, Nonetheless, there's a lot of good, important things. So I'm glad that he is speaking out against Islam, and in particular, Islam in politics. In his own politician way, but still. The other two things you need to check out at my blog at don'tletitgo.com are two different comedians 
who are standing up against government in general, fascism in general. Rob Schneider is saying that we are sliding very quickly towards fascism today. And Louis C.K., whom we talked about on Tammy Bruce's show the other day, is doubling down on Common Core. Uh, He's been criticized for some of the remarks he's been making on Twitter about Common Core lately. And he is saying, no, I'm sorry. The the, the one thing that I would like Louis C.K. to talk about is how government does not have a place in education at yes. all. Common Core is really if, just the latest if you just example. just put a spotlight on Common Core for now, that's good. That is good. Also, Patton Oswalt uh, praised a Mark Stein piece and doubled down on it after he was criticized. I like this. I like that comedians are having the guts out there to go ahead and, and say what's right. I can't believe we're almost at the end of the show here, Bosch. If you want a comment on today's show, if you want to leave a comment on today's show, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Over there, you can also subscribe to the blog. You can check out the links to Audible, iTunes, all the different things. You can contribute to the show. Thank you again to the contributors who have made our little sound system here possible. And um, most importantly, if you do like the show, go ahead and spread the word and tell your friends because this word spreads primarily by word of mouth. My mouth is only so big. Anything, any last words? I won't mention that I'll be on TV in, in October. You're not going to mention that no you're going to be on TV no more. in October? Until October. I won't, I won't mention it. <laughs> okay, thanks, Bosh. We'll talk to you guys soon.